morning. You know, I think every week I get up here and say, it's great to see you this morning. It is great to see you this morning. It really is. There's, um, I'm not going to call anybody by name, but there's been several people here this morning who have gone through some pretty rough couple months and a year or so who are back with us today. And I want you to know you're blessing us. Uh, really encouraging um, just to be together. It's really encouraging to be together. You know, I know it's, it's hard sometimes to, let's get up, let's get to worship. Why don't we stay on the couch? But um, there's something about being together as we worship. So thanks for being here. Welcome to Senior Sunday. I mentioned last week that today was going to be Senior Sunday, and the person I talked to got all excited because they thought we were going to be giving out like coupons to Denny's, you know, Grand Slams or something. <laughs> No, not old people seniors. This is graduating senior Sunday for high school seniors. Oh, so it gives us a chance to honor and to recognize our graduating seniors. Later on, you're going to get to meet them. And then after services this morning, you get a chance to spend some time with them and hear about some of the things that they have done and are doing, planning. So I wanted to share some thoughts that I you know, wanted to be applicable for our young people but I didn't want to make it just a, a lesson for young people. I wanted it to be something that, you know, everybody could benefit from. Because let's face it, us old people, we're just young people that have been alive a really long time, <laughs> right? There you go. So I came across a Calvin and Hobbes comic strip that I thought perfectly introduced my thoughts for this morning. If you know me at all, you know I'm a big fan of Calvin and Hobbes. I think Bill Watterson, the guy who wrote that strip, is a genius. Um, it's really a funny strip, plus... It's always very insightful, kind of makes you think. So Calvin is talking to Hobbes one day, and he says, Live for the moment is my motto. You never know how long you've got. You can step into the road tomorrow and wham, you get hit by a cement truck. Then you'd be sorry you put off your pleasures. That's why I say, live for the moment. What's your motto? And then Hobbes replies, look down the road. <laughs> Pretty good advice. I have entitled this lesson, Your Story, because we all are in the process of writing our story. Some of you are in the first couple chapters of your story. Some of us are a little bit closer to the end of our story than we are to the beginning of our story. But the reality is all of us are in the process of writing our life story. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we look back on our life, um, it's not made up so much of like the one or two or three huge events. Really, our lives are made up of an infinite amount of moments, an infinite amount of decisions that we make. Now, our life is all about the decisions that we make, right? No matter where you are, no matter how old you are, for the most part, you're where you are because of the decisions that either you have made or the decisions that someone else has made. I'm going to guess that probably some of our greatest regrets are because of decisions that we've made. There are decisions that we have made that we would like to go back and unmake. And here's the interesting thing when we think about making decisions. We have no idea of what exactly hangs in the balance when we're making our life's decisions because we don't know the future. We don't know exactly how the decisions we make are going to affect someone else. Don't know exactly how they're going to affect us. Because, again, we don't know the future. You think about your life. 
You think about how your life has been affected by your parents' decisions. Or maybe even your grandparents' decisions. Sometimes it takes a lifetime or longer to really understand how these decisions we make play out. I mean, think how different your life would be if your parents had decided to get a divorce. Or if they decided not to get a divorce. Think about those decisions, how they impact you. And the point is, we never know who or what hangs in the balance of the decisions that we're making. But we do know that private decisions have a way of not staying very private. Your decisions that we make in haste have a way of playing out with some pretty long-lasting repercussions. Those private decisions often turn into pretty public consequences. Those personal decisions pretty often involve other persons. So here's the question that I want to focus on for the next few minutes. Uh, The question that we need to get in the habit of asking ourselves every time we have a decision to make, and that is, what story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell? And maybe you've never really thought of decision-making in those terms. But every decision that we make has an outcome that's going to become part of our permanent life story. Every decision has an outcome. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's desirable, sometimes it's undesirable. Sometimes it's beneficial, sometimes it's not so beneficial. But every outcome becomes a permanent part of the story of your life. You make a decision to go out with this guy. Turns out he's a jerk. And for six months, you're stuck dating this jerk, and that becomes part of your life story. I wasted six months of my life with this guy. Now, you you cut some corners at work. Your boss finds out about it. He's forced to let you go. Part of your life story now is, I was fired from a job because of some unethical things that I did. Or maybe you're invited to go out with somebody and they're going to go party one night and you're like, no, I don't think I'm up for that. I'm not going to do that. They get arrested for DUI. That's part of their life story, but that's not part of your life story because you made a different decision. Every decision that we make comes with an outcome that becomes part of the story that we're going to tell for the rest of our lives which means we're all writing our story decision by decision. That's why whenever we have a decision that we have to make of any magnitude, we need to have the self-discipline to be able to stop and ask ourselves, what story do I want to tell? I'm going to be telling my story for a long time. What story do I want to tell? What story do I want to be part of my personal, um, forever permanent story? You want to tell a story that you're going to be ashamed of? Or do you want to tell a story that you're going to be proud to tell? And I could give you a bunch of examples of, you know, relationships and how you handle friends and how you handle yourself at work and, you know, how you handle your money. But you know these things. I think you all know what I'm talking about. But here's what I do know about all of us. All of us, everyone in this room. We would all love to be able to tell our entire story one day without skipping a few chapters, wouldn't we? 
Or we'd love to be able to tell our story without lying about a couple chapters of our story. I mean, wouldn't you love to be able to sit down with your kids one day? Or your grandchildren one day? And just tell them your story and not have to leave some big parts out of it? Or not have to lie about some of the things that you're telling them? You can do that. Certainly moving forward, you can do that. But again, it's going to take being able to stop mid-decision and ask myself, do I want the outcome of this to be a part of the story that I'm going to tell for the rest of my life? Now, obviously, we are not the first generation to sort of wrestle with this, right? Way back in the Old Testament, there is an example of someone who asked these same questions, and coincidentally, it was a teenager that was asking these questions. Uh, It's all the way back in the book of Genesis. His name is Joseph. We know an awful lot about Joseph. Joseph was a guy who, uh, again, really famous in Hebrew history. And he came from a family that was incredibly dysfunctional. Um, Joseph's great-grandfather was a guy named Abraham. Probably heard of him. It's kind of a big deal, you know, in, uh, in Hebrew history. His grandfather was Isaac probably heard of him too. His dad's name was Jacob. God later changed his name to Israel. So Joseph is born into this really famous family, but it's an incredibly dysfunctional family. Jacob, Joseph's dad, has 12 different sons by four different wives, but it's his fourth wife that's his favorite wife. Note to self, not a good idea to have a favorite wife. It's a recipe for disaster. But this favorite wife has two sons that Jacob, the dad, is convinced they're the best of the bunch. But it was that 11th son, it was Joseph, that was dad's favorite. And the whole family knew it. Now, you know Joseph's story because we love to tell Joseph's story. He's the flannel graph guy with the colored suit, you know, that you stick on the board. Uh, We know Joseph's story. One day, Joseph's brothers decide to act on what they've been feeling towards Joseph for a long time, and all the hatred and all the jealousy kind of bubbles to the top, and and they make a decision to kill their brother Joseph. But Joseph gets a break, sort of. They come to the conclusion, why should we just kill him? Why don't we sell him? There's a, a group of people here who are slave traders. Let's just sell them. We can make some money. Well, what are we going to tell Dad? What are we going to tell Joseph's mom? Um, that a wild animal killed Joseph. At least that's what we're assuming. And we'll show him a bloody coat. Which is exactly what they do. But now, Joseph's brothers have a secret that they're going to have to keep for the rest of their lives. For the rest of their lives, these brothers are going to have a lie as a part of their story. They're going to be liars for the rest of their lives. Now, getting back to our big idea. Imagine if we could drop into that moment when they're making the decision, what do we do with Joseph? We hate him. We're jealous. What are we going to do with this kid? We could kill him. We could sell him. Or we could let him go, I guess. We could just go back to life. What if we could drop in and say, guys, wait a minute. Think about this. What story do you want to tell for the rest of your life? Because what you decide right here 
That's going to become part of your permanent story. Now, we can't do that. I don't know that it would change their minds if we could. But we know that they decide to, to sell Joseph into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. He's actually purchased by a guy by the name of Potiphar, who just happens to be the captain of Pharaoh's uh, royal court. Joseph is a slave. He's a young guy. But he makes a decision that he's going to serve the household of Potiphar just as hard as he can. And so he serves Potiphar's household, serves Potiphar, serves his God, Joseph's God, to the best of his ability. And Potiphar sees that this is a special kid. And he starts giving him responsibility. And he starts giving him more and more responsibility. Uh, pretty soon, Joseph is running Potiphar's entire household. It's in Genesis 39. So he, Potiphar, left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Eventually, Joseph is running this pretty powerful man's entire household. That's a story worth telling, isn't it? I was thrown in a pit. My brothers betrayed me. I was sold into slavery. I, I was a victim, but I refused to play the victim. I decided to trust God. I decided to work hard. I decided to do my best. That's the story that Joseph opted for. And for a while, it worked pretty well. Until Joseph's story intersected with someone else's story. And Joseph finds himself in a no-win situation. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Hmm, we see where this is going, right? Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now think about this. This is a young guy. He's a long way from home. Home is a long way from him. And this isn't just a moral decision that Joseph is faced with. It's a life or death decision going on. Because really, whatever he chooses, there's a real good chance that you know, his life could hang in the balance. So here's a guy who, who's been rejected. He's been abandoned. He's been betrayed by everybody that should have cared for him. He's in a place where he does not want to be, would never have chosen this. He's a slave. This powerful woman propositions this powerless kid, and he does an amazing thing. He rejects her advances. In fact, he views the decision that he has to make in the broader context of his life's story. Joseph realizes this isn't just a one-time decision that I'm going to make. Whatever I decide right now, it is going to echo through the rest of my life. And then he actually shares with Mrs. Potiphar sort of the arc of his story. You know, let, me, let me paraphrase a little bit. Say, hey, Mrs. Potiphar, I came to you as a slave. Your husband purchased me. He bought me. I didn't have a home. I didn't have a future. Uh, he treated me well. I did my best to serve him. I did my best to serve you in this household. I worked hard. With God's help, I've worked myself up to where I'm now really in charge of everything in this entire household. Here's what he actually tells her. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. 
No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has, has withheld nothing from me except you. And then he reminds her, because you are his wife. Inference, hey, Mrs. Potiphar, that's your story. That's who you are. You are the wife of this powerful man. Do you really want an affair with a Hebrew slave on your resume? Is that the story you want to tell for the rest of your life? And then he asked this amazing question. A lot of everything that's happened, he asks her this amazing question. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? It's amazing. In other words, he said, how could I add adultery to a story that so far has been pretty unbelievable? I mean, my story has had a lot of twists and turns, but do I really want to add adultery to my story? You know, let me, let me give you two scenarios, Mrs. Potiphar. You tell me which one would make the better story. Story number one, your husband gave me an opportunity that I never dreamed possible. So I worked hard. I served him. I served my God. Story number two. Your husband gave me an opportunity that I never thought possible. So I took advantage of that trust. I had an affair with his wife. I dishonored him. I dishonored you. I dishonored my God. You tell me, which is the better story? What story do you think I would like to be telling for the rest of my life? Of course, we know what option Joseph chose. He, re he rebuffs her advances. In her rejection, of course, she turns the tables and, and claims to her husband that Joseph was coming on to her. By the time the dust settles, Joseph finds himself in prison. But even in prison, uh, the text tells us this. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him, which sounds so odd to me. The Lord was with him. If the Lord was with him, why was he thrown in a pit? If the Lord was with him, why was he sold into slavery? If the Lord was with him, why was he wrongly accused? If the Lord was with him, why is he in prison? Was God really with him? You ever find yourself in a situation like, what is going on? Where is God? God is not with me. But of course, removed from the story, we realize Joseph has so much more of his story to go. We're just now getting to the good part, right? His story's not over. Listen, whatever you're going through right now, you think, where's God? What's going on? Your story's not over. You might just be getting to the good part. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, which when you think about it, again, not the greatest thing to have on your resume, is it? You know, at least the prison warden thinks a lot of me. You know. But he did. Why? Because Joseph was a young man of integrity. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. For the sake of time, let's fast forward to the end of this story. Joseph interprets a couple dreams while he's in prison. He's in there for, for a long time, by the way. And because of those interpretations, he has an opportunity to interpret a dream that Pharaoh, the Pharaoh over Egypt has. 
And Joseph's interpretation of the dream is there's going to be seven bountiful years of harvest, followed by seven years of severe famine. You need to gather as much grain as you can in preparation for those seven lean years so that when the famine comes, Egypt will be ready. Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph and his wisdom, he actually puts Joseph in charge of that task. In fact, we're told that Joseph eventually rises to number two in the entire Egyptian empire. Not number two in a household now. Now he's number two in Egypt. He's only answerable to Pharaoh himself. And sure enough, just like Joseph predicted, there are seven wonderful years of harvest. You know, grain's great. They store up grain in preparation for seven lean years. Those seven lean years hit, but Egypt's ready. Because of Joseph, Egypt is ready. But the famine is widespread, so the brothers of Joseph eventually have to come to Egypt in order to buy some grain, and they're in a very interesting uh, set of circumstances with their long-lost brother, Joseph, who remembers in the kingdom now. In the words of Gomer Pyle, surprise, surprise, surprise. Because <laughs> they did not see that coming. You know, they remember Joseph as the kid that we all hated, that we sold into slavery. We've been telling Dad he's dead. He probably is dead. If he's not, he's some in an obscure place somewhere working as a slave. But now here's Joseph in charge of what's going on in Egypt, and his brothers are terrified. They're terrified because they're sure he's going to treat us the same way that we treated him. But Joseph is nothing like his brothers. Joseph doesn't want revenge on his story. He doesn't want to be part of his story. He doesn't want hatred to be a part of the story that he tells. He wants to live out a life worth telling. So he not only saves all of Egypt... He saves his family as well. You know, his entire family is invited to come and live in Egypt as the guests of Joseph. You know, this dysfunctionality that this family is filled with. Joseph's like, I don't want that to be part of my life story. I want to reconcile. Now, before we close, I want to be sure you kind of get the, the contrast between Joseph and his brothers. His brothers had a story that they spent their entire life hiding. His brothers had a story that they spent their entire lives lying about. Year after year after year, they were forced to perpetuate this deception that they, that they you know, had with their father and Joseph's mother. Joseph, on the other hand, step by step, decision by decision, ends up with a story that he is proud to tell. He's got to be proud of that story. In fact, and he had no way of knowing this, of course, here we are thousands of years later, we're still telling the story of Joseph because of the decisions he made. We're still telling his story. So, don't forget, like Joseph, like his brothers, you are writing your story one decision at a time. Now, you high school seniors, you're making some really big decisions in this stage of your life. You're making some serious decisions that are going to echo for a long time 
that are going to become a part of your story. You, you parents, us grandparents, we are still making decisions that continue to become a part of our life's story. Listen, if you don't take anything else away from this sermon, at least take this. Don't make a decision that's going to make you a liar for the rest of your life. Don't make some decision that you're going to have to hide away that chapter for the rest of your life. Or you're going to have to lie about that chapter for the rest of your life. Everything that you go through, whatever you're going through right now, for that matter, one day you're going to be on the other side of it. And all it's going to be is part of the story that we tell. You're going to get through it. You can get through it with God, trusting in Him, or you can make your own decisions and get through it on your own, but it's going to be part of your story that you're going to be telling for a long, long time. We're all writing a story. Make it a good one. Make it a good one. Make it a story that you're proud to tell. When you think about decisions that you had to make, you want to look back and say, you know, I had options. But I chose the option that I thought God would be pleased with. I trusted God. And now, far removed from that event, it's part of a story. And really, no matter how it turns out, that's a pretty good story. I trusted God. I wish it would have turned out differently, but I trusted God. It's a great story to tell. Joseph would not have chosen to put himself in any of those situations where he was. He didn't want to be thrown in a pit. He didn't want to be sold into slavery. He didn't want to be put in prison. But it made for a pretty amazing story. If you think about all the Bible characters, and I love the fact that God shows us those Bible heroes for who they are, and with all their faults and, and, and all their problems, there are very few people in Scripture that you really can't point to a major fault, a major struggle they have in their lives. And I'm not suggesting that Joseph was perfect by any means. And we can infer some things. But he was a man of character right down the line. He's one of the few people in Scripture who say, you know what, there's not too much that we can criticize Joseph for because every time he had a decision to make, seems like he made a good decision. Which means at the end of his life, boy, what a story to tell. A story that he was proud of. A story that we, we're still telling today. So, as you write your story, as you make decisions, becoming part of your permanent story, make it a good story. Make good decisions. Trust God to help you write that story. We've got a song that we're going to sing as a song of encouragement this morning. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to the front of the auditorium, and we'll meet you there. Let's go ahead and be standing.